Good morning. It's great to see all of you here today. Good morning to those of you joining us online. Glad you're joining us. Um, just to uh, segue a little bit on, on Pastor Dave's and gang report, is uh, we're beginning to uh, give our year-end reports to you, and this is the format that we're using. Uh, we will have a couple of uh, local church conference anoint meetings on March 15th where we all adopt budget and do some of those business things in case you're wondering about that kind of thing. Um, but this is a really effective way, I think, of giving voice to what's happening here in a way that's not overwhelming. We'll do, we'll do it each week for a while and you can get uh, uh, opportunities in if you would like to, to join these efforts and, and become part of what's happening here in this regard. Um, I just pray that the Lord Jesus blesses you this first Sunday after Easter. It's always an interesting Sunday. I want to give you a nerd alert right now. Okay, nerd alert, you're right with this? I got a question for you, especially for some of you who are really into the superhero things. Uh, what superhero has been portrayed by more actors than any other superhero in movie history? Who would you guess? Would I say that louder? Batman. You guys are no fun, you know it. And so, yeah, the answer is Batman. He has had at least eight different actors um, play his role. And, you know, they range from Christian uh, Bale, who I could never understand. Ah, bah, bah. I could never understand what he was saying. And then you got Ben Affleck, who, who kind of went dark with the whole uh, franchise. But um, the one that I'm thinking of here that really I, I want to kind of talk about with you this morning when it comes to Batman is the 1960s series where you had Adam West as the Cape Crusader, and you had his sidekick, Burt Ward. He played Robin, the, the you know, boy wonder. And they became this dynamic duo that fought you know, crime in Gotham, right? And, and I kind of grew up with that being on television. It wasn't good back then, and it's still not any good. But together, they were greater than the sum of the parts. And I recently pulled them up on YouTube to watch one of the old shows just to see if I remembered it correctly, and I did. It was just as cheesy as ever. And one of my favorite parts was the fight scenes where they would throw punches, right? That would miss by about a foot. And then they would have words. Remember the words? Words would show up on the screen like, pow, bam, biff, B-I-F. I have no idea what that means. Biff, I, I, did they miss? It was a whiff. What, did, what does that mean? And then there was um, crunch. And then pow wasn't enough, so there was a cur pow in there every now and then to emphasize the pow. And then there was my favorite ouch. You know, they throw ouch would come on the screen. Then you know, do you remember the theme song? Da 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 da. Batman, right? And uh, yeah, right. Really cheesy, but. This morning, I'm kind of using that imagery of this dynamic duo in the message I'm going to share with you um, from our First John series. We're returning back to First John once again today, and we're going to discover this dynamic duo. I think that's life-changing. That's revealed to us in First John chapter 3 and beginning with chapter 4. Um, what we're looking at today could be broken down into two different messages, one on obedience and one on the person of the Holy Spirit, but really the way John presents them is a dynamic duo that together the sum of the parts is greater than any individual part. And so I'm going to try to keep it connected that way uh, for our benefit this morning. So we're going to go to 1 John right now. I'm going to read from chapter 3, verses 19 through 24. Listen to this. This is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, 
We have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. And this is his command, to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. The one who keeps God's commands lives in him and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. So I'm going to unpack these verses eventually for us this morning, but I want to begin with verse 24, um, which says, the one who keeps God's commands lives in him and he in them, and this is how we know that he lives in us, we know by his spirit. This reveals to us this big dynamic duo that's so transformable, uh, transformational in the life uh, of the follower. So let me give you the big thought today for the message. There's a dynamic duo that is a different maker in the follower's life. Obedience to God's commands coupled with empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Obedience to God's commands coupled with empowerment of the Holy Spirit. So this dynamic duo of obedience and the Holy Spirit is a tremendous difference maker in the life of, of, of the follower. And the verses leading up to this big thought here revealed in verse 24 of 1 John 3 really deal with obedience. So I'm going to talk on that for a few moments with you. And then the verses immediately following uh, 1 John 3.24, verses 1 through 6 of chapter 4 of 1 John, really deal with the person of the Holy Spirit. And so we're going to use those verses to talk about the person of the Holy Spirit. But listen, the power lies in the coupling of these two things together. Amen? So even though I'm going to uncouple them for a few moments and talk on them individually, the power lies in putting this together. And I'll, I'll bring that up as the day unfolds. So let's talk on obedience first. Listen to 1 John chapter 3, verses 19 through 20 once again. Listen to what it says. This is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. So really, John is beginning to talk here on this topic of obedience. He's beginning to unpackage some things for us. And so what we're supposed to understand here, and this is sub-point A, is God's truth is greater than your feelings of condemnation. God's truth is greater than your feelings of condemnation. Now, John doesn't tell us what the source of condemnation is. He just says God's truth is greater than that. Now, since this letter of 1 John is written to Christians... What I think John is getting at here is some of the things that are, are, are residual in the life of a follower that can mess them up. I don't know if this works this way for you, but I have a lot of, of past things that happened in my life that I would, wish didn't happen. How about you? Sometimes when I look at those things, I go, oh, shoot, I wish I would have done better there. I wish I would have handled this situation differently. I do that frequently even with my kids. I wish at some point I would have had a different kind of conversation with them on a topic matter or done something uh, differently. And um, basically what John is saying is, listen, you can't be condemned by these things. God is greater than these feelings of condemnation. In fact, what he's saying is, remember who God is and what he's done for you in the Lord Jesus Christ. We not only follow God when we feel like it, amen, we follow him in spite of the way we feel at times, amen? That's what he's saying here. You've got to trust God over your feelings, especially your feelings of condemnation, especially when those feelings really are unjustified. The context of this whole teaching that I'm sharing with you today is incredibly important. I want to back up for just a moment and talk with you on 1 John chapter 3, verse 18. It tells us this. We are to love not with words or tongue, but in action in truth but with action and in truth. 
we're to agape others, is what's being told to us in, in the Greek. That love is supposed to be one of God-centered kind of love, sacrificial love for others. And agape love to me in simple form just means I put the interests of others above my own interests, okay? That's simply what it means to me. Um, this will manifest itself, John says, in how you actually treat other human beings and if you're willing to speak in truth to them. This will manifest itself that way. Think on what's being commanded here in John, 1 John 3.18. Think about this. We're being told, talk is cheap. Show love by your actions. Show up by how you treat others in the truth of God's word of perspective. And I, I read that, that, that kind of a thought and I think to myself personally. I think I agape my family. Okay. Depending on the day and the hour, they may not agree. Amen? But I think I come close to understanding sacrificial love when it comes to my wife and my kids, and especially my grandkids. Because they're easy to agape love, because I send them home with the parents. Right? So I have them, and I can just pour into them. Then I can just say, you know what? You're acting up. Nate, take care of this. Or Bree, take care. I'm not going to deal with that. I don't have to. Amen? So it becomes a little easier to to do that sort of. Um, But here's the problem for me. Honestly, when I look at this, we're to love you know, with action and truth. If I go to Walmart and I'm mistreated by somebody there, especially if I don't know them very well, I don't love them back. How about you? I don't love an action in truth. I get mad and I get self-righteous. Anybody agree, uh, understand what I'm, I'm doing here? Do you, you kind of have those same kind of things? Honestly, when I'm, I'm doing taxes, with my wife does taxes basically, but this last year going through taxes, I didn't think I really love my government officials. In action and in truth, I don't, I don't think those thoughts. How about you? Anybody think those thoughts? And so I start hearing this command, love with action and truth, not with words and tongue only. And honestly, I fall woefully short. I dare say every one of us do in here. And what can happen is condemnation, feelings of guilt, feelings of inadequacy, feelings of failure. And and we're being told here by John, condemnation cannot rule your heart. Trust God over the feelings of your heart. Um, Now, if there's something wrong, deal with it. If there's something you're sinning and you're doing, you know, in the conviction of the Lord, that's not what I'm talking about. Admit it and quit it. But so much of condemnation is, is, is... things that really are under the blood of Jesus. Let them be under the blood of Jesus. Um, Here's the problem. If you and I let condemnation rule in our hearts, we lose connection with Christ. We lose connection with our Heavenly Father. And, um, you know, these things of self-doubt, lingering, regret over past things that have happened in life or whatever may be the situation. John's simply saying, God's greater than these things. Amen? God's greater than these things. Don't let your feelings trump the truthfulness of God. God is greater than the condemnation that you're experiencing. This thing gets our heart in the right place. That's why, why he's talking. You want to have your heart in the right place. And that's where he goes next in 1 John chapter 3. Listen to verses 21 through 23 again. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask because we keep his commands to do what pleases him. Why do we receive anything that we ask? Because we're doing what he's asking us to do. Amen? 
And what is he asking us to do? That's revealed next. And this is his command, to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. So the specific command that we're called here to obey in this teaching is what? To believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and to what? Love others. And John is saying, listen, get rid of that combination. Don't have that combination. Have confidence in God because he has this command for you to believe in the name of Jesus Christ and to love others. So this brings us to subpoint B if you're taking notes. You are to obey the command to believe in the name of Jesus and to love one another. Years ago, when I was still in Williston, pastoring up there, we hired a, a new person. His name was Craig, uh, Pastor Craig Raymond. And he, he and I became fast friends. Um, and Craig was single at the time and had lots of time on his hands. And Craig would frequently ride a 10-speed around town or go running or ride his motorcycle, especially when he got his motorcycle. And he'd come by my house frequently. And if he saw me, he would just pop in. Which is, which is great. And so one time I remember Craig and I are sitting in the breezeway uh, in my house in North Dakota. By the way, in North Dakota, you even had an attached garage of a breezeway. Based on the weather there right now, you can see why. Amen, right? So I'm sitting in this breezeway between the garage and the house with Craig and he's talking and we're solving all the world's problems like people frequently do when they get together and talk, right? And we, we were talking about ministry, and he was saying this to me as a, as a relatively new pastor. He goes, man, you know, Christians really like to talk a lot on spiritual topics and get into deep theology, and oftentimes we argue over different theology and all that. And he goes, but I'm, I'm learning this, um, and, and he said this, true spirituality is when we believe it enough to actually live it out. And because I just smiled. I mean, yes, absolutely. Do you think that's true? By the way, brothers and sisters, what's true spirituality? When we believe it enough to what? Do it. Otherwise, it's just talk. It's just discussion. Spirituality is when we believe it enough to do it. And so what I want to do with us for a few moments here is I want to focus us on this command. We're to believe in the name of the Son of Jesus Christ, right? We're believing in Jesus Christ. And what else are we supposed to do? Love others. I'm going to focus a little bit on loving others right now. I'm going to, I want to just talk. What is the command? What does it look to live it out? Okay, are you with me on this? This is where we're going for just a couple minutes here. Because I think it's important to have some flesh hung on the command, so to speak, to understand what's really being said here. So love comes from the Greek word agape kind of said that already, and it just simply means divine love, the highest form of love, it's not emotional, it's volitional, it's a decision to love, has nothing to do with how you feel, it is a commitment to another's highest good, okay, that's agape love, now let me further define it this way, a distinctive of biblical love is that it's beyond sentimental, it is anchored in the riches and depths of God's truth, so the love that we're supposed to be demonstrating, that we're supposed to be actively giving to others, is of this nature, okay? And based on this truth. Getting what I'm saying here? So maybe if I give you an illustration, this will be helpful. I grew up by the Mississippi River in Brooklyn Park. And so I was literally a couple blocks from the Mississippi. I went down there all the time and hung around there. It was very dangerous. It was right underneath the Coon Rapids Dam where I lived, and several people had died there. 
And I waded out in the water. I did all kinds of stuff I probably shouldn't have done as a kid. But I'm still here, so I guess it turned out all right. Amen? Um, and so I have a scenario for, for you to consider. So what if you're down on the bank of the Mississippi River and you see someone floating by drowning in the river? What would you do? Now, I'm going to tell you one thing you would, shouldn't do. You shouldn't try to go in after them. Because most likely you would drown also. Because you're getting on the currents of the Mississippi, you're done. Especially at that point. So you probably would... Do what? I would find the biggest hunk of stick I could find and throw it out. Right? Wouldn't you try to save them? And if you had a rope with you, if you're a Boy Scout or something, I don't know, I would not have a rope. You throw them a rope or something. You try to help them with something, right? Maybe get a long stick that you get out there and get them, and they could grab that and you could pull them in. But you would do something, right? But there's a couple things we probably should not do. Right? I'm going to talk with you now, and this is just facetious, but I'm going to just say this, okay? You're not going to yell at them, well, that was idiotic for you to be in the river right now. You're getting what you deserve. You're drowning because you're stupid. We wouldn't do that, would we? That's not very loving, right? We wouldn't sit there with a judgmental self-righteousness and condemn them and say, you're getting what you deserve. You shouldn't be in the river, blah, 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 right? Well, we would try to save them. Now, on the other hand, this other extreme isn't any better. You wouldn't sit at the edge of the river and say, man, I can relate to you. I feel for you right now. My heart, oh, I mean, I, you know, I, I, I just love you so much. I think I'll write a poem about what's going on right now. The person is what? Drowning. Help them out. Okay, let's take this right to what it means to love in action and in truth. We have people all around us drowning in the river of sin. Amen? They're drowning. The last thing they really need to hear from us is to stand on the shores of the bank and say, in self-righteous attitude, you're getting what you deserve. You're, you're a sinner, you know, and, and in our self-righteousness, judge them, right? And equally wrong for them, and, un, and not very beneficial either, is to say, I really relate to you. I'm going to love you just like you are, and it's all this sentimentalism and all this kind of stuff and writing poems or whatever. I don't know what, you know, that doesn't help either. What, if, what should we be doing? If we're going to love with action and truth, we need to throw on the lifeline of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen? At some point, if you care about them, you're going to tell them about the one thing they need in their life, and that's Jesus Christ. It doesn't have to be, you, you can't get them to grab it. It's not your job if you throw somebody a stick and they say, I'm not going to grab that stick, I'd rather drown. Okay. Your job is to throw the stick. Amen. It's up to them whether they grab it or not. But we should throw the stick. That's what it means to love in action, with action and truth. Is we throw the lifeline of Jesus out to people. Whatever that looks like in whatever situation you find yourself. So let's apply some of this truth that we've talked about thus far, all right, into an application point. I want you to consider this. What does it look like for you to love others with action and in truth? What does that look like in your particular case? Your particular friendships, your acquaintances. What does that look like to love with action in truth? Consider that a bit today, and I pray as you walk out of here that God puts somebody, some situation on your heart. Now, I've talked in the first member of the dynamic duo, obedience. Now, I'm going to couple it with the second member of the Holy Spirit. Whenever the Bible talks about the Holy Spirit, remember this. The Holy Spirit's a person. Amen? Not a force. 
Not a thing. It's a person. Part of the Trinity. Therefore, the Holy Spirit is relational. And he wants to come in the heart to those who put their faith in Jesus Christ and empower such ones with his presence through anointing, uh, conviction, comfort, and so on, okay? And so, 1 John 3 ended with verse 24 saying, the one who keeps God's commands lives in him and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. So let's talk about the Holy Spirit now and read about the Holy Spirit a little bit. And remember, we're coupling this back together with this whole idea of obedience, okay? To the, to the command that God just specifically gave us that we believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and we love one another. So let's talk on the person of the Holy Spirit for a couple of moments. I'm going to read 1 John 4 verses 1 through 6. Listen to this. Dear friends, Do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognize the spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming, and even now is already in the world. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them, because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world and the world listens to them. We are from God and whoever knows God listens to us, but whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. So last week on Easter Sunday, as we're closing out that message, I mentioned this. Jesus told his disciples at the end of Luke, Luke chapter 24, and he told them in Acts chapter 1, wait here in Jerusalem until you're clothed with power on high, until you're filled with the person of the Holy Spirit. Because we can't do this thing called Christianity in our own strength. Amen? And Christ knew that. Now we get to 1 John here, uh, chapter 3, verse 24, and we're told that the Spirit of Christ will reside within us, the Holy Spirit. That's how we know that we're of God. And then we get to 1 John, chapter 4, verses 1 through 6, and we're told this Holy Spirit, this is how he will minister into our lives. And so what I want to talk with you for just a couple of moments is the Holy Spirit empowerment, what it looks like. So based on John, uh, 1 John 4, verses 1 through 6, the Holy Spirit empowers a follower of Jesus to have discernment and overcome. These are pretty important, aren't they? To have discernment and to overcome. And so let's begin with discernment because that's where uh, 1 John uh, 4, verses 1 through 6 begin. Um, Discernment's like elementary ed. It's like the beginning point of understanding who the person of the Holy Spirit is and what his ministry is all about. Um, so I call discernment, when it comes to the Holy Spirit, elementary education. It's where we, we just need to learn this. It's foundational. And the Holy Spirit has this ministry of revealing Jesus to people, okay? So we're supposed to test the spirits, we're told here in 1 John uh, 4. Um, test the spirits. The Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit of God, always acknowledges Jesus is the Son of God. Amen? And that he came in flesh. He always says that. Amen? That's part of his ministry. Jesus said, he will make my things and my ways known unto you. The Holy Spirit always reinforces this command of us to believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. They're working together as a dynamic duo. The command says for you and I to obey or, or to, uh, to uh, you know, uh, believe in Jesus as the Son of God. The Holy Spirit does what? tells us, believe that Jesus is the Son of God come in flesh. The spirit of the Antichrist says the opposite, denies Jesus' deity and that he came in the flesh. This is rudimentary. It's the beginning point of just understanding the ministry and the work of the Holy Spirit. If there's acknowledgement of the Lord Jesus Christ, then you know it's the Holy Spirit at work, amen? 
If there's not acknowledgement of Jesus Christ as the Son of God and that he came in the flesh, then what spirit's at work? The Antichrist. So if you're going to a church that calls itself a church and they're standing up there telling you that Jesus isn't the Son of God or denying that he came in the flesh, what should you do? You leave. Because that's the spirit of what? Antichrist. Amen? The spirit of Antichrist will deny Christ and try to get others to deny him also. This is our culture that we face. The spirit of Antichrist is all over the place. It contradicts the commands of the Bible. It contradicts that Jesus is truly God's son, that he's the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father but through him. And it also denies and contradicts that we should love one another with agape love. So let's go where John takes us next, okay? And I call this secondary education. When it comes to the person of the Holy Spirit, that we overcome. The way that we overcome, though, isn't by our self-effort. It's by the person of the Holy Spirit residing in us and empowering us. And we're told this, greater is the one, the Holy Spirit, in you than the one, that's the spirit of Antichrist, in the world. Greater is the Holy Spirit that is in you than the one who is in the world. Now, I like that little world, uh, word in here, okay? It's, it's, it, let me expand on what it means. Greater is the one in you. There's a comparative statement happening here, but that word in makes it even more interesting. The word in means he'll never leave. The one that will remain always. He'll sustain you through whatever. So greater is the one who remains in you always, who's always there, always present than the one in the world. So the Holy Spirit will enable you to stand against falsehood and to obey God's commands. He's an overcomer. The Holy Spirit is greater. And the faithful in Jesus overcome in the Holy Spirit. So here's our application here. Ask God for the Holy Spirit. Ask to be filled. Amen? There's this divine coupling, friends. You've got to understand. There's this command. You and I are to believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're to agape one another. That means we're going to love with action in truth one another. That's the command. And the command becomes a possibility when we're filled with the power of the person of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Who changes hearts, who gives us the ability to overcome and to actually fulfill the command. So here's the application. Ask God for the Holy Spirit. Now, what I want to do is talk with you a little bit more about the Holy Spirit. That's how we're going to end the message today. If you were to go to Luke 11, which we're going to do, we see here Jesus, at the request of his disciples, is asked, teach us how to pray. We want to pray. We want to pray like you, Jesus. What they were really saying is, Jesus, we want to connect with God the Father like you do. And so Jesus gives them the Lord's Prayer. Amen? You know, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. We know the Lord's Prayer. Amen? And that's where most people stop. That's where Jesus started. He didn't stop there with the teaching on how to connect with God. He started there. And he continued to teach on on what it means to connect with the Father. Let me read for you the rest of the story from Luke chapter 11, verses 5 through 13. Now listen to what Jesus does here. He gives the Lord's Prayer, but then he goes right into this additional teaching. Then Jesus said to them, Suppose you have a friend... 
And you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked, and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely give up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and the one who knocks, the door will be opened. And again, we quit there. And people say, you just got to have this audacity and ask and ask and ask. God will give you. No, let's finish the rest of the story. Let me finish the rest of the story for you. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Do you see where this teaching takes us? The disciples were saying, teach us to pray. So Jesus gives them a grand methodology. We call it the Lord's Prayer. Pray like this. Don't stop there. That's just the methodology for some prayer that's effective. Nothing wrong with it. Great methodology, amen? We should pray, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on heaven as on earth. We should pray those things, amen? But then Jesus says, but get this, with shameless audacity, you need to seek God and you need to knock and you need to be persistent. And what do you need to knock and be persistent for? Filling of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen? Are you seeing that? Are you seeing the continuity here and where this thing goes to its logical conclusion? This dynamic duo is so powerful. This idea of coupling the indwelling power of the person of the Holy Spirit in our hearts with the commands of God is so transformative. You can't, listen, if you unlink the commands of God from the person of the Holy Spirit. I can't even begin to obey that command to really, you know, believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and to agape others. I, I can't begin to do that without the person of the Holy Spirit in me. How about you? It's, a, it's, a, it's an effort of fertility. And if I uncouple the person of the Holy Spirit, which is done also from the commands of God, See, the Holy Spirit is about making it possible for us to really believe in Jesus Christ and really love one another. If I uncouple the person of the Holy Spirit from that, guess what happens? I begin to seek after experiences and wild moments to, to give me some kind of spiritual vitality. And that becomes empty and purposeless also. You put the two together, the command of God. Believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Agape one another. You put that command together with the Holy Spirit living in us and empowering us with his presence and bringing to mind the teachings of Jesus. You put those two together, what do you get? A dynamic duo, amen? A transformation that's really real and changes our heart from the inside and out. And so I'm going to stop here because you know why? I'm done with words. I'm just going to stop speaking. So let's pray and let's ask God just to anoint this time and we have a wonderful psalm to close with today, and I pray it's a psalm that you sing as a prayer to Jesus today, okay? Would you bow your heads? Lord God, I want to thank you for this continuing teaching of 1 John. And honestly, I, I had no idea where to go with this scripture, Lord, last week. And I want to thank you um, 
because it's really powerful. It's powerful scripture. And I pray that we would couple together in the same end of the scriptures, coupling it together, this idea that your commands and the Holy Spirit, they're this dynamic duo in our lives, Lord. And I pray we would love your commands today, Jesus. That we would love this command to, to believe in your name, Jesus, and to, to love others. That this command would be on our hearts and on our minds, Lord. And I want to pray, Holy Spirit, that you would fill us. Even now, I pray for anyone in here that's never asked, Lord, to be filled with the person of the Holy Spirit. I pray even now they would ask, Father, fill me with the Holy Spirit. Fill me with that person so that he brings thoughts of Jesus to bear in my mind, that he brings conviction in my heart when I need conviction. He brings comfort to me when I, I need comfort. He brings consolation when I need consolation. He brings direction when I need direction. Holy Spirit, fill our lives. Bring the words of Jesus into us. Make them rhema words alive and active and sharper than a two-edged sword. Make these words of Jesus just jump alive in our hearts. Would you, Holy Spirit, thank you, Jesus, that that's the ministry you said the Holy Spirit would have. And that's how he's being revealed here in Scripture that we read like today with the sermon and understanding that we can overcome in him. Lord, I just pray that we'd, we'd really be convinced of these things. And Spirit, just have free reign in us. Even as we sing this next song, I pray it becomes a song of prayer for us as a church, a song of adoration, a song of what could be in you, Jesus. I just pray for the people of Grace Point. Just anoint their lives, Jesus. Do a divine work that only you can do in each one of us, I pray. In your name and by your blood, amen.